there is no minimum time in service requirement for salvation. Any person can accept the gift of salvation at any time in his or her life. That's 100% true, but I will also say that there is a certain length of time that we ought to be serving the Lord for. And before you jump out of your seat or start screaming heresy, don't be caught off guard, just let me explain. The length of time that we ought to serve the Lord is this. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to An Average Account of Exceptional Things. My name is Chandler, and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. So this week, we are jumping into another wonderful parable from Scripture. Now, for those who weren't here for the couple of episodes we've done on parables, the short of it is that parables are simple stories used to illustrate morals or spiritual lessons. And I think it's great to take a look at these from time to time in our episodes because they offer spiritual lessons in a way that is very relatable and easy to grasp. Now, I love the application of God's Word to our lives, which means that I am naturally drawn to the way parables communicate these spiritual concepts, and I hope that you see the value in that as well. So with all that out of the way, today we will be discussing the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Now I know that's sort of a long name, which is why I truncated it a little bit for the episode title. If you know of a more succinct name for this parable, let me know in the listener contact form in the show description. But without further ado, let's get our discussion started by reading this parable. This is going to come from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. 
Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now that is a very hefty parable, and it's full of some very impactful lessons as well. So let's take a look at some of these applications and really break this one down. Now the first point that I often hear made about this parable, and the one that I will go ahead and address now, is that the workers were all paid the same wage, despite having spent differing times in the field. This draws a clear parallel to Christians and the kingdom of God, particularly regarding the gift of salvation. Whether someone accepts the gift of salvation at a young age, as a child, or when they're old and their health is declining, if an individual is truly placing their faith in God, he or she will be saved, and that person's sins will be covered. Just like the workers in the story, it doesn't matter how long you worked for the Lord when it comes to the gift of salvation, because it's just that. It's a gift. We aren't required to serve God for three or five or ten years before he will forgive our sins. If someone comes to faith later in life, it's not as if their sins are somehow only partially covered by Christ's sacrifice. God's ability and faithfulness to forgive are not time-dependent, and our receiving salvation is not some sort of contractual agreement either because there's nothing we can do or produce apart from God that's of any real value. So it couldn't possibly be an agreement or a contract. Now when you stop and consider this, however, we ought to find that to be a real comfort, because it displays the awesomeness and purity of both God's love and his saving power. If God needed us to do some combination of works in order to be saved, then that would, as a result, diminish his power to save us from our sin. If God's willingness to forgive was dependent on our works or on time in the faith, that would serve to diminish his love, compassion, and mercy for us. But praise God, it's not like that at all. His love and mercy are absolute. His saving power is absolute. And in that way, I believe that this parable also displays God's generosity. Just as the master in the parable is generous to pay the workers who began late in the day the same wage, God is generous to extend both salvation and blessings in all forms to those who accept him, regardless of however long or storied our past might be. Now this also brings to mind the following passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And these are some verses that we've read on the podcast before. But it's important for us to recognize the gifts that the Lord gives for what they are. Blessings. God blesses us not because of what we've done, but in spite of what we've done. And every blessing, even down to each day that we see or each breath that we take, is ultimately a result 
of God's generosity. And it's good to see that, not only as a reminder to praise God, but also as a guard against pride. As these verses in Ephesians note, specifically with regards to salvation. Now I think this leads us nicely into our next big takeaway from this parable. And it's actually two in one that sort of go hand in hand. So we'll discuss one and then bring in the other alongside it. So as I was preparing for this episode, I was reading some commentary on this parable, and I came across what I feel is a very insightful point, and I'd like to discuss it now. This parable serves as a warning against covetousness. Now, if you're not familiar with what that means or would like a quick refresher, covetousness is actually covered in the Ten Commandments. We can see this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now that word, covet, means, roughly, to try to gain or to long after. In the parable that we're looking at, specifically, we see the way that the workers hired early in the day look to the workers who put in less time but were compensated in the same amount. So in this case, we are referring to coveting riches in a way, but this could apply to anything, as Deuteronomy 5.21 shows. And it's easy to compare ourselves to others. I would say that in our modern world, it's actually even easier than ever to do so particularly with the rise of social media and the internet. Unfortunately, that creates a lot of problems. Now, as we talked about a little bit in our previous episode on the parable of the talents, the Lord blesses us in different ways and in different amounts, which does not make him any less generous, I will add. And the problem comes when we begin to look upon the blessings that others have received and covet them. Now, maybe you're in a period of singleness and you look jealously on another person who's in a relationship or even a couple who's happily married. Perhaps it is financial and you're discontent with what God has given you because you look at a friend or a coworker who has a bigger house, a better car, or whatever the case may be. It could even be something immaterial, like good genetics, intelligence, or similar traits like those. The point that I'm making here is that opportunities for covetousness within our lives are not few, and that struggle or temptation may look different for different individuals. And in my opinion... This stems heavily from something truly despicable. Something so rooted in pride and selfishness that it ought to make us sick at our stomachs. It's a particularly foul word, and I'm talking about none other than the word deserve. I mean, that really is it, isn't it? When we become discontent or ungrateful for what we have been given, 
doesn't it all go back to that utter misconception that we deserve something? Let me clarify, that we deserve something good, something better than what we have, that it's our rightful due to have something or more of that thing. It's something that we've all almost definitely found ourselves slipping into before. And I will openly include myself in that 100%. And we can see it in these workers from the parable as a prime example as well. They're saying, hey, wait, we worked for a lot longer than some of these others. We deserve to be compensated in a greater amount. It's not that they thought the others shouldn't be paid, necessarily, but we can see here that they felt that they deserved to be paid more than the others. And it's what we too often do. We look to the blessings of others, think about how we have faithfully served God or worked hard for Him, and then we feel that we deserve better. Maybe we even look to someone who isn't a believer, but is seemingly well off, whether that's financially or in another respect. And then we think that it's not fair that they should have those things when they are followers of Christ, sacrificing daily, working hard, that have much less in terms of worldly goods. But what does the master say to the workers? Hey, you've got a good point. Here's your rate adjusted to an hourly amount. If you come back and work on Memorial Day, I'll even give you time and a half. Nope, he doesn't say that. He says, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And he brings up something very important here. All of those workers were perfectly happy to work for what he had offered originally, a denarius a day. But then they began to compare themselves to others. Maybe they started to think that their work, being a much longer endeavor, was greater than those around them. I sort of imagine here the pride and how long and hard they had worked, swelling in their chest a little perhaps. That's where the problem came. In reality, however, as the master rightly points out, it's his money to do with what he would. He did not deal dishonestly or unfairly with any of the workers. He was generous to those who began working later, and there's nothing wrong about that. And this is where that second point that I mentioned ties in. Through this response of the master, this parable also reminds us of God's sovereignty, particularly over the blessings of ourselves and others. Though we often think about what we deserve especially in regards to something better than what we currently have, the reality is that all we truly deserve is punishment and death and hell. 
just look to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, you can see it plainly stated there. The wages of sin is death. If we got what we deserved, we would pay the dues of our sin. But thanks be to God that it doesn't have to be that way. So whether we labor earnestly for 80 years or 8 days for the Lord, he is still dealing not only fairly, but also generously with us. And it's well within his right and his power to give the gift of salvation, and, for that matter, any blessing, in accordance with his perfect knowledge and grace. But I know what you may be thinking. Well, then what's the point of working diligently for God if the reward is the same? I mean, why shouldn't I go out and live however I'd like, or sort of coast through life haphazardly, and then kick it into overdrive once I'm a little older? Well, there are some big reasons why, and here are a couple of them. First off, by living in a way that's contrary to God's commandments, or even simply coasting lazily through life, we miss out on opportunities to be a part of God's magnificent work. And that, in and of itself, is a tremendous blessing and honor to be a part of. Now, it's my personal belief that even if we are unwilling or have blinded ourselves to opportunities to share the gospel or be a blessing to others, God's will will still be done in those situations. But we are missing out on the opportunity to be a part of that, to be the vessel that God uses to bless someone else. And really, when you stop and think about it, what is a greater honor than that? That God would use us for something so great and so powerful as the mighty work that he's doing. Now, secondly, while all may receive salvation and God's grace and mercy supersede timing, there is still plenty that Scripture has to say about storing up treasures in heaven as well. One way that I've heard this described is that in heaven, everyone's cup will be overflowing, but some cups will be larger than others. Now earlier, you may recall that I mentioned there is no minimum time in service requirement for salvation. Any person can accept the gift of salvation at any time in his or her life. That's 100% true. But I will also say that there is a certain length of time that we ought to be serving the Lord for. And before you jump out of your seat or start screaming heresy, don't be caught off guard, just let me explain. The length of time that we ought to serve the Lord is this, the rest of our lives. Whether that's a long time or a short time or anything that we would consider in between, whether you are a new believer or someone mature in the faith, we should all be serving God faithfully with whatever amount of time that we have left on this earth. 
So as we wrap things up today, I want to offer this final word of encouragement. Even though it may seem like we have plenty of time left in our lives with which to work for God, we don't. None of us is promised tomorrow, or even our next breath. And even if we do live 80, 90, or even 100 years, that is still as a vapor in the wind, in the grand scale of eternity. So I encourage you, don't wait to get to work. Let's keep our hands and feet busy doing whatever task God sets before us. And let's keep our hearts and minds focused on the incredible grace that he has poured out over us with every blessing he has given. So with all that said, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of An Average Account of Exceptional Things. And until next time, encourage one another, love your enemies, and count your blessings. Mm -hmm.